Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. One, two, three, break! Down the middle of the field, it is caught! Loose football! Who's got it? Down at the one-yard line! How about that? That is the ultimate kibosh. (laughs) (laughs) And we are underway. Hello and welcome to the Action Network NFL Podcast. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe. Consider leaving a five-star review if you're feeling generous and download the Action Network app for all your odds, bet tracking, and even, you know, sometimes contests for free money. It's Sunday night and we're here to talk about what just went down in week 13 and look ahead to Monday night and Thursday night football ahead. I'm Ian Hart, it's director of the Fantasy Labs NFL product and Action Network analyst. Here with me, as always, Chris Raybon, co-host of I'll Take That Bet on ESPN Plus and senior editor and NFL analyst at Action Network and Fantasy Labs. Chris, what's going on, man? What is up? I'm excited, man. I just watched this uh, Raiders Chiefs shootout, man. Life is good. Raiders Chiefs shootout. We got AB balling out in the first half. It's a it's been an exciting day of football. Coach, uh, Coach Jags shootout, you know. <laughs> Oh my God. All right, we'll get things started with some of our best and worst core plays of the week. Some players pay and some players slay. Who were the bankroll builders and bankroll killers from week 13? All right, Chris, this is back-to-back weeks, I believe, that we were pretty much on the same page with our uh, best and worst plays. How about you start off with uh, your best play of the week? I mean, it's, you know, Travis Kelsey, when he scores that many points, it's really hard to – he'd be anybody's uh, not best play. Um, you know, I mean, that was Mahomes, Kelsey, all these guys. I mean, it's, it's the Chiefs. They're going against the Raiders. Not everyone balled out. I guess Spencer Ware had an okay day and, and everything, but um, you know you're going to see some fantasy points in that one. Do you think there's a little bit of an edge here with these uh, tight ends that are more or less their team's number one receivers, but, you know, they're still technically tight ends, so maybe they're priced a little bit lower than they should be? Oh, absolutely. In in situations, I, it, I think it really comes up a lot um, when you're talking about flex spots and, uh, you know, some kind of uh, creative ways you can make lineups and tournaments as well, because uh, a lot of people don't always think about that. But tight end is like another number one re- receiver. And a lot of times, you, you know, those guys, 6K, 7K, FanDuel, you know, they're like low sevens and um, a number one receiver, probably like at least a thousand dollars more. So um, anytime you have those guys, I think those can be really important cogs in, in tournaments. Definitely, and we saw that today. We'll get to that Millie Maker lineup in a bit. All right, worst play today for both of us, and I'm sure plenty of other people out there, Matt Lacoste, Broncos' new starting tight end, had one target, did not catch his one target. So we got a big old goose egg for a guy that was only 2,500 on DraftKings. So, you know, we weren't expecting a ton, but, man, I mean, I was on the uh, Daily Fantasy Flex this week, and one of the things that uh, Sean Corner, the Oddsmaker brought up was how Lacoste had at least one reception in weeks four through 12. So it seemed, you know, at least decent chances that we wouldn't be getting this goose egg. But here we are. Um, did you see any, like, uh, I, I guess, problems we should have seen here before? Not necessarily. I mean, I think he's always going to be more of a, like, a punt play than a, a straight up, like, full exposure tournament play just because, you know, we, we, we've never really seen him or, or seen his ceiling or his upside. But from like a, a more so like a punt play, I don't, I think the process is still kind of the same. It's, you know, you're always trying to, if you're not going to pay up for Kelsey, you're always trying to like 
pay the least as possible because this thing, I mean, we've seen David Njoku have like goose eggs. You know, we've seen all these, we've seen a lot of these guys uh, goose egg in the same type of way. So uh, a lot of times it's more stud or just, you know, punt. And this is what happens sometimes with the, with the position. But um, I, I don't think the process is too off outside of that. Yeah, agree with you there. We have seen the joke and some of those other uh, higher priced tight ends be just as volatile. All right, and now it's time to talk about the biggest fantasy disappointment of the weekend. I'm the trash man. Just throw me in the trash. You're garbage, and you know it. Totally unreliable. Is that it? Undependable. That's it. You've been told off. How do you like that? Good. This week's trash man is, we're going to go with Spencer Ware. There wasn't a kind of 20% plus owned person that really gave a goose egg performance, but I think considering Ware was owned in 61%, of a millionaire maker lineups. We can we can call him the trash man. Obviously, Kareem Hunt news was dropped Friday. If you follow at Fantasy Labs NFL, you knew about that immediately and were able to scoop up Spencer Ware in all your leagues. He ended up getting 15 touches uh, Sunday and worked as the Chiefs lead back. Problem was, he only got 52 total yards. Got a one-yard touchdown to help save the day. I mean, that's why we love his situation so much. He is the feature back now in this Chiefs offense, but we saw Damian Williams get uh, 44 yards on seven touches. Really, you know, Ware didn't uh, separate himself from that backfield. And now we got reports that the Chiefs are reportedly going to be signing C.J. Anderson, which has a whole nother level of uncertainty there. Chris, thoughts on, I guess, Ware's performance today and this backfield moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that you could have pointed to if you were going to say, like, okay, he's not going to smash is, and, and I think I was talking about this with Friedman on, on the pod the other day, is like, Spencer Ware is a a good pass blocker, so they use him a lot in pass blocking. And um, I, I, you know, I have to go back and watch the tape, but it, he only had one target. So I'm not, you know, I'm not sure if that was, you know, I mean, that's happened to Kareem Hunt as well. That's the one thing with the Chiefs backs from time to time, they're not targeted, I guess, consistently, or, or the, uh, the 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 lead back isn't always targeted consistently on a week to week basis. So that's something to watch. But yeah, besides that, I mean, I think you usually do you you do see chalk plays in the winning lineups, like in the Millie Maker, like. Pretty much every week we break it down. You'll see chalk plays in the million maker at running back. So, you know, I think anytime you got a player that's like in this uh, ownership range, you're always going to f- think about fading him or at least going under the field. Like if he's 50%, I think you more so, if you're doing like, let's say 150 lineups, you're, you're, you're not going anywhere near 50%. If you're doing one lineup, you're obviously fading him. But um, besides that, I think, you know, it's just one, it's also one of those tough breaks where, not everybody's going to ball out even in these big games. Um, I think it was when it was a couple of weeks ago, we saw Kareem Hunt kind of have like a, a down game in a game where they scored 30 something points mm-hmm. as well against the Arizona Cardinals, which is kind of a similar situation here. So it's always going to come down to, to like how many touchdowns they get. And cause you know, the yardage is the difference between, you know, 52 yards or him getting like 85 yards or whatever, not is minimal compared to, you know, just, uh, being able to to get in the end zone like two times to to really boost that that tournament uh, upside, but didn't happen for him, and uh, it burned a lot of people. So you know that that that's definitely a lesson to to keep in mind. Depending because like the the fewer lineups you have, I think the more you obviously have to fade a guy that's anywhere near that that kind of ownership. Yeah, I mean it's rare. I feel like these these kind of situations will only pop up a few times a year where right. you do get that featured back in that uh, low cost range. It looked like it was going to be Carlos Hyde, you know, through Thursday, yeah. and then uh, people kind of it seemed like people got off of him, which was you know obviously good. I mean, he had so many touchdowns today, you know. <laughs> Him, him and all his teammates, just, just so many touchdowns. Today. Oh, man, leading us right <laughs> into that game. And now for the team that lost the public the most money this weekend, or as our old friend Joe Buck might put it. That is a disgusting act. That's right, Joe. The Indianapolis Colts, neither the Colts nor the Jaguars deserve much uh, credit today on the offensive side of the ball at least. But this one, you know, I mean, I think I was right here with the public. I was expecting the Colts to kind of roll here. They opened up as a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road, but that went up to four-and-a-half by game time. 74% of public tickets came in on Indy. You know, they won five straight games. Jaguars were in game one of the Cody Kessler era and lost seven straight. I mean, basically what we saw here was just a defensive butt-kicking. The I mean, Jalen Ramsey uh, had a ton of success against T.Y. Houghton. He ended up coming down with eight catches, 70-some yards, but really locked down. Uh, that side of the field, for the most part, the Colts rushing game couldn't get anything going. And here we were in the fourth quarter, and it's 6 nothing. Jaguars were up. Colts were under 200 yards almost the whole game. They finally got a little bit going on their final drive. Then Andrew Luck tries to get a cheap little five yards to Eric Swoop. 
before kicking the field goal. And Jalen Ramsey took him down inbounds. Controversially, looked like he might have landed out of bounds. Either way, game ended six to nothing. Chris, thoughts on this complete opposite of a shootout and maybe any signs that we should have seen this coming? I was right there with you. Like I thought the Colts would be able to handle this game more so just because I didn't see how the Jaguars were going to score many points, which actually, you know, came to fruition. I just didn't expect the Colts to be to be held down like that. I think the one thing you could have pointed to, I think uh, Friedman and I discussed on the Friday pod a couple of weeks ago, which was that, you know, Andrew Luck, the one thing, if you look at his numbers with, with all the touchdowns, is the yards per attempt hadn't really been there. So you just kind of wonder, like, okay, what's going to happen in a game where, you know, th- those touchdowns, you know, Eric Ebron doesn't come down with one of those touchdowns or, or he doesn't get, you know, two, three touchdowns the way he's been getting every game. And you'd wonder if, you know, the Colts would still be successful on offense. And it turned out that that didn't really happen in this game. You know, they weren't quite able to be as efficient in getting in the end zone. They had a really good uh, – they had a pretty good red zone offense coming into this game. But Jaguars defense had been kind of playing well. I think that's one thing that had gone under the radar – they kind of had a couple of bad games in their in their losing streak, but if you looked at the uh, the advanced metrics, they were still kind of top ten ish in most of those and on defense, and uh, that combined with Andrew Luck kind of mediocre passing efficiency in terms of the yardage created this perfect storm where they couldn't move the ball as, as well as they as well as they normally do today, and it uh, came back to bite them. It kind of seemed like coming into this game, at least I thought that the Jaguars, I mean, I didn't doubt the Jaguars' defensive talent, obviously. I mean, all three levels, we've seen what they can do. As recently as two weeks ago, they had uh, Pittsburgh basically with zero points after 45 minutes of football. But after that letdown and then to see them go to Buffalo, lose to Josh Allen, you know, we're finding out this Buffalo team maybe isn't quite as bad as uh, we tend to give them credit for, but seemed like that even if this was a talented defense, they were just giving up. But hey, man, I mean, it might sound weird, but maybe just Cody Kessler replacing Bortles just gave him at least a little bit of a spark. And also, I think, you know, that is because even though I, I did like the, uh, I was on the Bills last week against the Jaguars, but one thing I did point out when I when I wrote that up for uh, my favorite bet on on the Action Network was that both of those teams, the Bills and the Jaguars, had actually come into last week. I believe it was six of their seven losses had been against teams that were 500 or better. And so I think that's a lot of times when you're betting, especially that's why you know here at Action Network and we, we usually do kind of target those underdogs or those contrarian situations because a lot of times that's what happens is that you, see, you look at a team and you look which you're supposed to look at their strength of schedule so you look at their strength of schedule and you're like oh they beat that team that team wasn't that good they lost to that team that team wasn't that good or they struggled against that team and then it usually turns out that like there's a lot of regression to the mean going on and a lot of teams are like better the, the bad teams are better than we thought the good teams aren't quite as good as we thought and so a lot of times that's what ends up creating that that value on those on those contrarian bets especially when you have a, a like a, a bigger than a a field goal spread because interestingly enough the you know the line did open at Colts minus 2.5 which is like kind of telling you okay you know this this is a, a situation where it's you know it's, it's going to be a tough game and uh it kind of got bet up a little bit I think it closed at, at minus four for the Colts and uh they struggled yeah got all the way up to four and a half by game time so definitely uh when you see a spread jumping that much make sure you're really uh thinking about why all right now we're going to take a quick review of the winning millionaire maker lineup from Adam Legbert Becoming a DFS millionaire? Talk about a dream come true. What DraftKings lineup lived a daily fantasy fantasy this weekend? All right. This week's uh, millionaire maker was actually a $100 entry, so not the usual 20. Had some more sharks in the pond. Adam took it home with 232 points. Big, fat, million-dollar check. To get it done, he had a Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey stack. Of course he did. RB1, RB2 slots, Todd Gurley, and Aaron Jones. Again, some of the chalk there. I absolutely love the wide receivers here. We had Zay Jones, Cordero Patterson, crazy DraftKings uh, qualifies him there, but Cortland Sutton in the wide receiver three spot. Flex, Tariq Cohen going bonkers as a rusher, receiver, and passer today. And finally, the Texans defense at home against the Browns. Chris, thoughts on this $1 million making lineup? I mean, you know, I'm sure we all had Cordell Patterson and we're just like so mad that we couldn't get the pieces around him. I actually got a Twitter, <laughs> Twitter message this morning and they go, hey man, you have exposure to Cordell today? And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> I mean, hey, I, I should have. Maybe, maybe I would have a million dollars right now. A revenge game, man. And, it, <laughs> and it's crazy too because he scored a 7.9. Yeah, so like <laughs> this is what happens when you nail your plays. You, you, see, you often see this on DraftKings just because of the way the salary cat work. It's, you know, it's really hard to get like 
nail nine perfect plays with the way that cap works. So a lot of times you'll see like one guy kind of underperform a little <laughs> and just kind of thrown in there. And uh, <laughs> it's Cordell Patterson today. I love the Cortland Sutton play, 3%. That's a really high leverage play too, because even though Philip Lindsay ended up balling out too, I think just the thought process behind, okay, you know, Sutton, you know, we knew Lacoste was probably going to get some ownership. We knew uh, Emmanuel Sanders as well was going to get some ownership. And Sutton had kind of been that one guy that was getting a, a target share, not really had converting it into into much usable fantasy production thus far. But definitely uh, at 3%, I think it was it was worth it there. Aaron Jones, obviously, was in a good spot. Didn't really smash, smash, but you had to have that Mahomes. Kel- I think it was just going to go to who had the best, you know, the highest score around that Mahomes-Kelsey stack. And um, I think Tariq Cohen was another one that, that helped big time. He's kind of been taking over that backfield in Chicago, especially with Chase Daniel. Chase Daniel seems like he really likes to, to go to Cohen, um, you know, backup quarterback. I guess you can kind of expect it's going to either be the back or the tight end they're going to rely on. And it was Cohen. I mean, Cohen threw a touchdown pass, and he was just giving the Giants all sorts of problems. I mean, it was everywhere. Like, they, like the Giants should have won the game about – a half hour before they did, but it was just like every time, like I think there was a recovered onside kick. I mean, everything, every time you see the play, it was an onside kick directly Beckham. at Odell Beckham. Yeah, yeah. The guy tries to knock out of bounds. Go up there and get that ball, OBJ. Yeah, he just kind of, yeah, he he, he wasn't thinking straight. He, he, like, it, was, <laughs> it was bad. And then like, yeah, it was, yeah. So that happens. And then like, it's Tariq Cohen though. He's just like, every play, it's just like, where's Tariq Cohen? Because he's about to like, get more yards and, and extend this game. And then that's what ended up happening. So, uh, you know, that was a good play. Texans defense, only 3.2% owned, you know, going against Baker Mayfield. I think you pointed out how that was going to be a really tough matchup for Baker uh, against this Houston defense. And, I, you know, I continue to be impressed with this Houston team. I mean, I know a, a lot of their wins have come against, um, you know, kind of mediocre opponents. I know they've won some close games as well. But um, I think anytime you have a, a high-level defense and you have a quarterback like Deshaun Watson and a wide receiver like, New Hopkins. So you, ha- you have the star, you have the quarterback, and you have the defense, and you have stars on defense. On any given Sunday, I think, you know, that's a team that could beat a Pittsburgh Steelers or be a, a New England Patriots or something like that. So uh, I would say watch out for the Houston Texans as kind of a, an aside. But, um, yeah, back to the movie maker, you know, Todd Gurley, chalk, 24%. Um, you, again, we usually see at the running back position more predictable. So you can be willing to kind of roster some of these chalkier guys. So that's, that's again, why I don't think like Spencer Ware was the worst play. Cause let's say you're, you know, you're doing like a 10 or 20 lineups in, a, in tournaments in a given week or, or even five. And you're kind of rotating between, you know, Gurley and Ware and Jones and, and a couple of, you know, Lindsay, I'm sure you're probably in that, in that top group as well. And you're kind of rotating between those guys. Like, yes, you are going to have some dead lineups with Ware. Um, but you're also going to have combinations like this with, with Gurley and Jones and Mahomes and Kelsey and, and the, the guys you kind of need. So great, great lineup, I think. Any, any other thoughts, Ian? Yeah, I think you hit on most of it, man. I mean, just, just getting exposure to these. Like we, We've seen Tariq Cohen ball out all season. A little bit of uncertainty here with Chase Daniel under center. I looked at this game probably not as hard as I should have, obviously, and thought it could be more of a Jordan Howard game. But like you said, man, recent weeks, I mean, we've seen uh, – Tate Mizell get more run over Howard. I mean, it's really just becoming Cohen's backfield. So I think just continuing to pay attention to kind of these later season trends. I mean, Zay Jones as well. I mean, we've seen him kind of be the the top receiver in Buffalo lately. So it's it's just guys taking advantage of and getting to them like Sutton a week earlier than a week too late. And that's how you get a million dollars, I guess. And uh, and just real quick on Buffalo, you mentioned it with like, I think you hit on it when you said, you know, that team is probably a little better than we think. I think they are. And I think, you know, Josh Allen as well is a little better, a lot better probably than we think. I mean, I'm, I'm out here every time I watch him, I'm, I'm mostly impressed to be honest with Josh Allen. I mean, he does, he's not really working with much. I don't know if you got to see the, the uh, last play of the game uh, today against the, uh, the Dolphins, but you know, Oh my God, Charles Clay. Oh my, yeah. Like it was like Josh Allen made, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better play when like, cause the play, it was a Hail Mary for those that didn't see, you know, Hail Mary play breaks down you know, it looks like Josh Allen's just going to take the sack and the game's going to be over. And uh, somehow he just like keeps like dropping back, gets out of it, rolls all the way back across the field, comes up throwing, fi- like manages to spot a wide open Charles Clay in the end zone, you know, kind of throws across his body. So, you know, the ball's kind of, I-, I believe it made it to the goal line or a little further past the goal line. Clay's kind of coming back to it and just could just dropped it and uh, game was over. But I mean, you know, I think, I think there's a, uh, a bright future with, with with Allen and you know the coaching staff. I think Doug, uh, you know Sean McDermott's done a really good job. Even last year, we saw you know kind of maximizing what he had, dragging that team to the playoffs. So I think in fantasy, you have to uh, really 
um, start taking this team a little more seriously too, because like Evan Silver pointed it out. These Russian quarterbacks are, they're the new wave. Like it's, like, like guys like Philip Rivers have been putting up, you know, having excellent seasons, and yet they're almost irrelevant in fantasy in most weeks because they're not adding anything with their legs. So, um, you know, you'll see like Eli Manning goes 17 for 18 in one of his best games of the year. And like, it's like he's not really giving you anything because he's not he's not getting you those extra points on the ground. Um, Tom Brady, mediocre, all these guys. So um, Josh Allen is a guy that I think if he's on your waiver wire and there's a there's a perception about him or whatever. I mean, you got to pick this guy up. He's rushing for like a, over 100 yards in these games, you know, high upside quarterback going forward. Yeah, Josh Allen today joined Michael Vick, Colin Kaepernick, and Robert Griffin the third RG3, as the only QBs with over 130 rushing yards in the game over the last 20 years. So this is a like the highest rushing ceiling we can have, basically, Josh Allen has demonstrated. So definitely a guy to keep an eye on moving forward, and we'll talk a little bit more about him later. Next up, we're going to look at some of the day's biggest injuries. Keep your head on a swivel for the injury report was not the prettiest day we have had a couple key ones here to talk about first up panthers tight end greg olson he ruptured the plantar fascia my bad on mispronouncing that in his foot um <laughs> season is expected to be over from my understanding you know he was already playing with the screw in his foot he, he missed plenty of time earlier this year so basically re-injured that and it's looking like he will miss the rest of the season we did see Ian Thomas come in weeks two through five with Olsen sideline, had at least three targets in all those games, came in today in relief and had five targets. Chris, thoughts on Ian Thomas as the Panthers starting tight end moving forward? I think when Ian Thomas is in there, um, you know, so today we kind of saw Ian Thomas catch some passes. It was kind of more of a, a garbage time look where in the fourth, the, they were playing prevent defense. They kind of just lined Thomas up and he was getting some, making some plays. You might see him pop up here and, the, here and there, but what I think is probably going to happen is you're going to see the targets redistributed a little bit more to, to these wide receivers that are really coming on. I mean, you know, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore have really been flashing and you still have Devin, you just had Devin Funch just come back and you have, um, you still of course have McCaffrey, you have Torrey Smith and, and Jarius Wright, who they, they like to use as well. So I think, you know, Thomas is a guy, yeah, if, you, if you're desperate for a tight end, you pick him up, but um, he's not really, I don't think, going to be able, we're not going to be able to reliably project any type of decent floor for him on a week-to-week basis, especially with these emerging wide receivers. Yeah, tough to be too high on any of these tight ends that just aren't really getting targets generated for themselves. They just got to be that check down option, but we'll see what you can give us moving I mean, forward. One thing awesome I, name, right? Huh? Oh, yeah. Awesome, I mean, Awesome name. Absolutely. And one thing I will say is like, you will probably get at least Matt McCoff's production out of out of Ian Thomas if you pick him up. So yeah, <laughs> at, at least at least at a minimum. <laughs> oh, poor Matt McCoff, man! I was so hyped about that. Play. Poor Matt McCoff, poor poor me. I had him in life. Poor you, like poor us. Like, we, we didn't do who lost money on this guy. Like, it's not uh, poor Matt McCoff. Like he's one. I'm sure he's feeling great. He's a tight end. He probably laid a killer block. Like, yeah, he never thought he'd be a starting tight end on the Denver Broncos. I mean, how many, look, Jake Butt, uh, high, like everyone went, he's like, their, he's not like their fourth tight end. Man. He's, oh my God. Not, not poor him at all. Poor Chris Ravon. Malakos uh, <laughs> is fine and making hundreds of and thousands. It, of and everyone out there that listened to us, it, it was like, oh, yeah, 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 great value. Great value. <laughs> oh, man. All right, moving on. We'll, we'll, we'll actually stick in this game, though. We're looking at A.J. Green, other side of the ball. A.J. tried to come back this week from the foot injury. Oh, man, it looked bad. I'm not sure if it was just too early, but pretty much non-contact uh, foot problem. He was seeing a boot afterwards. Season is expected to be over. So uh, we've seen kind of Tyler Boyd in this offense without A.J. Green. The ceiling's down. With that said, it's it's at least a is, is this a doable end the season stretch. We've got the Chargers, the Raiders, the Browns, and the Steelers. I'm just wondering, like, is, is there anything to approach in this Bengals offense slash, like, what are your thoughts kind of on Jeff Driscoll moving forward? Driscoll, I think, is interesting. I think Driscoll, um, I think he's another one of those guys, like, we've seen him run around before. Um, he didn't really run in this game, but... He was doing that bunch last week, for sure. Right, right. And I, you know, I've, I've, I believe it was pre... I've seen him, like, do that in the preseason as well. So, uh, you know, I think, he, I think he has a little bit of upside. Like, he's another guy, again, if these guys that have any little bit of rushing ability are on your waiver wire, you know, and you, you need a quarterback or you just need a you know, an extra guy that might give you some upside down the stretch or, or, or to protect an asset at, that you already have a quarterback, I'd say pick him up. But obviously Tyler Boyd continues to put the, the targets on his plate first and foremost. You know, we, we do see sometimes that 
it's tough for it's a little easier for defenses to defend a guy like Boyd when a guy like AJ Green is out. So it's not necessarily the most ideal thing, but I mean, at this point, you know, he's, he's been a guy that's shown he can step up. And I think, uh, you know, going forward, he's going to continue to be um, that top guy with the, with the target share, you know, above 20%. I think it was 22 coming in to this game. So, you know, Boyd is a guy you got to like. And next week they play the Los Angeles Chargers. Now that is a tough matchup generally for receivers at any position because you have Casey Hayward, you have, you know, Desmond King in the slot. So you just have a lot of good players. So that that's a tough matchup that he's kind of in that, you know, more, I'd say, you know, wide receiver two-ish fringe still, um, you know, wide receiver two, three fringe for that matchup. But after that, you know, they got a matchup with the Oakland Raiders. They got a matchup with the, with the Cleveland Browns where, uh, you know, he could probably avoid Denzel Ward. So I think, you know, for the, for the last two games of the fantasy playoffs, you're looking at a, some good high upside spots for, for Tyler Boyd. And I think, you know, John Ross is another guy that really been an ugly start to the career for him. But, um, you know, he seems to be able to kind of either score or, you know, make, a, make like one or two splash plays a game when AJ Green is out and um, gives you something um, with some upside, you know, if he ever was able to get to command more volume. So I think he's another guy that you want to look for to pick up. And of course, you know, um, I'm sure you and I will be, uh, will, will be drawn back into maybe a, 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 like a CJ Usama, <laughs> have another Matt Lacoste situation we can be talking about on the pod next week. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm excited for that, for that, for the next goose egg. I've, uh, I've managed to refrain <laughs> myself from CJ for most of the season. I don't know, man. I might get the itch. Uh, one yeah, really good point there on a uh, Boyd in the slot. I mean, it's going to be tough against the Chargers with uh, King on the inside and Hayward on the outside. But, I mean, Raiders aren't stopping anyone. But, yeah, Boyd should avoid Denzel Ward in Week 16 and then Joe Hayden in Week 17. So, definitely something to keep an eye on when you got your number one receiver working out of the slot. All right, next situation. A little bit uh, lower key, but Malcolm Brown, the Rams' number two running back, who we've been seeing get a little more run lately, especially in that Chief Rams game when Gurley was banged up, hurt his shoulder and could not return. Uh, severity of the injury is not known, but this is a situation I think where we should probably start talking about how to kind of approach this Rams offense moving into these final weeks, especially in season long, because they're 11 and one. I believe they've already clinched a playoff spot and they're well on their way to clinching home field revenge with weeks of spare. I believe Bill Barnwell actually called this out like weeks ago, basically saying that just be careful owning these Rams guys because we could be looking at a situation where McVay is potentially resting backups in weeks 15, 16, 17, or, and we'll, we'll see how he does it, but there's just some uncertainty here. So Chris, my question for you, what are your thoughts on John Kelly, their rookie running back that could potentially now be the handoff to own? And two, what are your thoughts on this Rams offense? If we are going to have to consider playing these guys, you know, when they're dealing with backups. Yeah. So that's a, that's a really sharp uh, call. I think with Kelly, I think you, you definitely pick him up. Like if he, if John Kelly is on your wire, on your waiver wire, whatever free agent, you pick him up. I'd even spend some, some FAAB on it because this guy could be a league winner. If Malcolm Brown is by any chance hurt or out, you know, if he's, this guy could be a league winner. If uh, you know, if he gets a start for, for Todd Gurley in week 16, or if, or if Todd Gurley just happens to get hurt, you know, I mean, we've seen Todd Gurley, you know, in the, in his smash spot of the year, against the Chiefs, you know, kind of dinged up his ankle early and wasn't really a factor in that game. So uh, definitely John Kelly is a guy who, uh, you know, hasn't really – I don't – has he been active yet this year? He hasn't, right? I don't think so because yeah. when, when – um, yeah, when Brown did get hurt, there was concern because Gurley was the only running back left. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think that especially because the Rams, you know, have not really made him active or put him on the field, I think that down the stretch, if you see – if they have a chance to kind of get him just some reps – um, in situations, I think they definitely would take the opportunity to do that unless, of course, you know, they, they go out and sign a free agent back. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, Kelly's a guy you definitely want to pick up. And then as far as approaching the offense, I think you do have to kind of be wary of that. I mean, I'm sure Josh Reynolds is long, long picked up, but that's a guy that um, I think he'd probably be a little more safer only because I think he's another guy that going toward the playoffs, they'd want to get as many reps as they can for him. So I think he'd be a guy that would stay on the field, even if, um, you know, maybe, maybe they kind of played it a, a little safer with, uh, you know, some of the other guys, but you know, until, until we really uh, get a sense of that happening, I think you just have to take it week by week and be prepared by, you know, uh, picking up Kelly. Cause there's really no other receiver that you could really pick up off the wire that would, uh, that would help you out in that situation. And then, you know, the tight ends, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what would happen if, I think Everett, Everett and uh, Higby, you know, Everett's the guy I think you, you want if there's uh, if there's going to be a guy to have some some upside. But I don't know if he necessarily benefits at all if they're resting people or not. But so I think it's really it's really Kelly is the guy you're looking for. 
Yeah, the only, I was going to say, the only other guy I could even think of would be Everett. But like you said, it wouldn't be surprising, too, if he just didn't really even play with the backups, considering the amount of run he already gets. All right, now we're going to take a quick look at two kind of workload situations around the league. First one, we'll be looking at an entirely new Green Bay Packers offense next week because Mike McCarthy has been fired. Obviously, today, the Packers could not even beat Josh Rosen, the Arizona Cardinals at home. A rough year for kind of Aaron Rodgers and the offense in general. Just haven't seen them flip that switch and get back into the elite unit that we kind of get used to seeing around this time of the year. Chris, what are your thoughts here with Joe Philbin taking over? And do you think there's any hope to be kind of saved here in this from a fancy perspective with Green Bay? I mean, you know, from a fancy perspective, I don't think much changes. You're still, you still got Aaron Rodgers. You still got... Uh, Aaron Jones, you still have Devontae Adams, and those guys are always going to be staples. Uh, maybe, maybe we see, <clears throat> excuse me, Jimmy Graham get a little bit more involved. Was involved today, but hasn't really been involved that consistently earlier this season, I should say. And you know, besides that, I mean, I think it keeps on humming. It's tough to gauge the team because it's it was really a letdown game where you know they came out and said, "Hey, we're going to run the table. We're going to make these playoffs." And I mean, that dream is kind of shot. So you wonder how the rest of the team kind of responds to the situation where it's, you know, yeah, you have the new coach and you knew that that usually kind of galvanizes the team, but um, with them kind of being this kind of being a game where they're kind of knocked out, essentially, it's tough to, to, to gauge. So I think you just kind of look at it from the same way you've always approached it, which is you, you trust Rogers, you trust Adams and, and you trust Jones. And I mean, these, these pass catchers, I mean, you're, you're, you're looking at them and I guess you're trying to find some value there with, uh, you know, Cobb is back. So Valdez Scantling, mate, it looks like he's going to go back to a, a lesser role. Hasn't really popped quite as much, though did have some rushing production in this game. But it's just the same old in Green Bay. We just hope that they get back on track in terms of Rodgers, getting back to his ceiling numbers, because even Rodgers hasn't really been a, a ceiling quarterback that much this year. Yeah, haven't even seen it at these home games. I'm with you on all that, man, but are, are we positive we can trust Aaron Jones moving forward? Because I, I thought we were, but then today happens and – Jones has 39 snaps and Jamal Williams has 38. I know it was a funky game and everything, but you would just think that, you know, if, if you've kind of seen the problems present, presented to the Packers this year, that the new play caller would just know to feed the most effective guy in the running game. But, I mean, are you expecting more of a split backfield move, moving forward or hopefully it just goes back to Jones? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's clear that like Jones has shown over and over again that he's their best runner. And he's also shown that he can he can be an asset in the passing game as well. I think, you know, Jamal Williams, good pass blocker, solid fundamental player. I think he'll always get burned. It's just, you know, from game to game, I don't think you can, like, I don't think you can overweight, like, the 39 snaps in this one game. Because I think every situation in the league outside of maybe Todd Gurley and a few others are, you know, you have these kind of committee backfields and they fluctuate from week to week. So as long as you have... You know, the guy that's leading the way and it's going to get the double-digit touches and get the targets, um, I think you're okay with a guy like, you know, Williams kind of sneaking in there from time to time. You know, it's not ideal. We saw it, you know, today with Ware as well. You know, Damian, Damian Williams got some burn as well. So this is going to happen throughout the week, whichever running backs you have if you're, if you're not lucky enough to have a, a Todd Gurley. So it's just something you got to deal with. But I do think that Jones will continue to be a, a focal point because he's shown over and over again that, the offense he's one of the bright spots on that offense like I think I think it's that's pretty clear to see for like the coaching staff yeah that's a good point I remember I was kind of um a couple of weeks ago I noticed uh, Giovanni Bernard was itching a little bit closer to mix in and another week went by and it was like no they're, they're still at the same 75 to 25 percent I'm looking at a two game one game sample you know way too closely so it's usually when it's um like a, a switch that's when I think you pay more attention kind of like when when okay, a guy goes from like uh, Gus Edwards in Baltimore, right? Like when it went from like Collins, like 80% over the last like four or five weeks coming into the game in terms of like backfield carries. And then it's like, all of a sudden you Gus Edwards is like the guy in backfield carries. And it's like, in that situation, it's like, because at the end of the day, coaching staffs are controlling these carries and these snaps. Right. So when you see such a, a major switch, that's when I think you, you pay a little more attention and you, you really have no choice, but to kind of favor that most recent information. But when it's just kind of fluctuating between like, you know, 55% of, of the work and like, you know, 75, it's, it's probably just one of those um, more often than not. Anyway, it'll be one of those like variants, just variants things. Yeah. Especially one like now we can't come up with a, you know, good solid reason for why this uh, snap ratio could be switching. All right. Speaking of Baltimore backfield, let's talk about this Ravens offense. Lamar Jackson led the Ravens to another win. He hasn't been perfect as a passer. He's missed some throws, but Hey, I mean, he's got this offense winning. He's got, they're moving the ball. They're running the ball. 
today. Gus Edwards had another 21 carries. Lamar had another 17 rushes. Kenneth Dixon rose up from the IR grave with uh, Alex Collins be- replacing him this weekend. Dixon had eight carries. Timeout Montgomery had three, along with a team-high seven targets. So Coach Harbaugh, after the game, said that Jackson had done enough to keep the starting job, but he was not ready to name him the starter. Seems like we're moving forward, though, with Lamar Jackson, at quarterback, if I was a betting man, which I am. Chris, what are your thoughts here on this Ravens offense moving forward with Lamar under center? And just as a refresher, we got the Chiefs, Buccaneers, and Chargers to finish off the fantasy season. Yeah, I think, you know, Lamar Jackson gives – I think he he does give him kind of the best chance to win. It's it's like you mentioned, it's not ideal. I don't think the passing is where it needs to be yet. But, again, these quarterbacks that can move with their legs – this day and age, it's it's just a higher upside bet more often than not in these situations um, for for an offense um, and in fantasy. And so, you know, I think Lamar Jackson continues to be, uh, you know, a kind of like a low end QB one with uh, you know high end QB one upside as long as he's the starting quarterback. I think Kenneth Dixon is another guy who fantasy playoffs, you know, trying to find a bench stash or, or somebody that 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 may come into value. I think you have to pick up Kenneth Dixon because. These ever since Lamar became the quarterback, I mean, this team has been running, you know, 40, 50 times a game. I mean, you're having, you know, not just Lamar getting these double digit carries, but you're having usually a running back getting 20 and another the backup getting, you know, another, you know, close to dozen, half dozen. So um, Dixon is a guy, if anything happens to Edwards, um, you know, Dixon could be coming into RB1 value. So I think you pick him up and uh, it's just rough for the for the receivers if you if you were kind of relying on a John Brown earlier in the year or somebody like Michael Crabtree from week to week, Willie Sneed, even, um, you know, all these guys are, if, if Lamar's a quarterback, it's just, you know, it's essentially a dart throw. Like there's no, there's no way you'd uh, be able to kind of predict any kind of floor because it's, it's a much lower, lower volume passing offense. Yeah, really no way to tell what's happening there in the passing game. Lamar's first start, Willie Sneed led the way with eight targets, and he had exactly zero the following week despite playing the whole game. So going to be tough to tell there, but hey, at least we know Gus and Lamar should be running the rock. All right, next we're going to take a look at the Monday night football matchup between the Washington Redskins and the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles opened up as seven-point favorites. That's been bumped down a little bit, little bit to Eagles minus six. Uh, the over-under has gone up opened up at 43 and a half and we are now at 45 points so chris we'll start on the washington side of the ball biggest news here chris thompson is back they're uh space plus back every time he kind of gets double digit touches the guy's a you know very relevant fantasy performer electric in the open field 6.8 targets per game in five games he's played this season to go along with 5.2 rush attempts obviously that was with captain checked down alex smith under center so we haven't seen him with colt mccoy but what are your thoughts on uh i guess since, since thompson works in the both phases of the game so much like what what do you think the redskins offense is going to uh, flow through tomorrow i think he'll be involved because you know he, he hasn't been in the game in so long and i think they they're excited to get him back it's it's tough to say exactly how much work he'll get um you know we've seen him kind of dominate as you mentioned you know he was getting 20 percent more than 20 percent of the targets in many games with alex smith under center um, tough to say if McCoy is going to be quite that quite that conservative, but at the same time, you know Thompson is you know when he's healthy, probably their most best offensive player, most explosive offensive player. So I would think that I would think that he gets decent usage. I think that you have to definitely consider him as like in that captain spot in the showdown slate on a large field tournament because there's a, there's definitely a chance that number one Washington could be playing from behind, and number two that um, Thompson is just a featured part of the offense. You know as he makes his return because uh, you know that that offense has kind of been pretty sluggish um, for the whole season almost. I mean, he was, he was the one guy kind of giving them, you know, always outperforming what you like, what you would expect from his efficiency um, in terms of touchdowns or, or just, you know, yards per catch, you know, making a big play. So uh, I think another guy, if he's just like kind of laying to waste on the waiver wire, uh, I think you definitely want to go and pick him up in, uh, in season long. I feel like Chris Thompson has just been Duke Johnson with a more like a more uh, consistent workload when he's actually been healthy. All right, another space back that is returning. The Eagles are expected to get back Darren Sproles. He's still a questionable with a hamstring, so you know make sure you're looking at our Fantasy Labs NFL Twitter feed for that official status tomorrow night. But Peterson, uh, Doug Peterson said he'd probably be active, just won't be a full workload. With that in mind, we got Josh Adams who kind of has sprung up as a starter. He's questionable with a hip injury that popped up late, but he's also expected to play. Corey Clement, Wendell Smallwood are still there. What are you making of this uh, all of a sudden pretty crowded backfield, Chris? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Sproles is another guy. I mean, PPR league, desperate, another guy to pick up because when he, he's been historically used pretty, uh, at a pretty high rate when he's been healthy, um, just hasn't been healthy much these past couple of years, but you know, he's a guy that could easily, you know, start commanding some more of that, uh, that target share out of the backfield. Uh, you know, he's going to be probably, I would guess, returning some kicks for them as well. So I'm kind of a guy that can score in a, in a few different ways. I think in this game, uh, you know, another guy who they'll probably manufacture some touches for because he's been out for so long. I think that Adams is the guy they kind of settled on. If he's healthy, you know, he kind of popped up late in the week on the injury report. So that kind of, you have to bump him down, I think, a little bit just just in anticipation of him, they, them kind of curtailing his workload a bit. But uh, Allen is, I think, the guy who, Adams, excuse me, is I think the guy who they kind of, you know, gives him what, what is closest to what JHI kind of gave them earlier in the year, which is, you know, kind of, he's kind of a, a little bit bigger guy, just has been their best runner this year. You know, Corey Clement was that guy kind of making explosive plays last year and, um, you know, scoring some touchdowns, kind of outlier touchdown production given his volume. Uh, and that kind of dried up a little bit this year. And uh, they seem to have kind of soured on on him and Smallwood a little bit too. Smallwood, I don't think he even got a, uh, I don't think he even got a touch in the last game. So uh, I think Clement would be the guy that would, would kind of step up if if Adams is not at, at full ha- full strength and, and Sproles will kind of mix in, I would think, for probably maybe 20% of the snaps. Could catch, you know, three, four balls. But um, I don't think they're going to um, start giving him handoffs like they were <laughs> last last time we saw them. But, um, sure. yeah, I think I think I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, I think he'll definitely catch a few balls. We've only seen Sproles in basically the first quarter of week one this year, and they really went out of their way to uh, feed him. It seems like that was because it was against Atlanta. You know, we've talked about how bad uh, the Falcons, not how bad, but just how the Falcons tend to, you know, really invite offenses to kind of feed their running backs in the passing game, which is what the Eagles were happy to do that week. All right. Keeping on the Eagles here for a second. We've now had three games of uh, target share since they've acquired Golden Tate. In that time, Zach Ertz has 27 total targets. Golden Tate has 20. Alshon Jeffrey, 16. Nelson Aguilar, 10. Everyone else is under double digits. Chris, are you accepting Golden Tate here as their kind of de facto number two receiver behind Ertz, or do you think Jeffrey is still that guy? Theoretically, Jeffrey is the guy, but you could see kind of this variance, you know, you know, kind of this lowered floor with Jeffrey. I mean, you are, we are seeing it uh, because – Tate is just a type of receiver that his role kind of naturally commands targets. It's almost like any slot receiver that's just that high volume. I mean, you know, he's going to be the guy when you're in a prevent defense, you know, he's running over the middle, you just drop it off to him. And of course, Ertz is already uh, that guy as well. So he could end up, I guess, being that number two receiver from a target share standpoint, because that's just the kind of receiver he is. Whereas Jeffrey is running, um, you know, more perimeter routes, routes deeper down the field. Um, And so, you know, that's just naturally going to, invite less targets um especially because i don't think jeffrey for a while now has been quite the same separator um that he was maybe like earlier in his career when he, he, had, he was playing with brandon marshall i think now he's just he's a little more of a you know contested catch guy you know red zone guy um you know still make the the tough catches for you but um you know we haven't seen him just kind of get open to the point where he's commanding like this huge volume the way you know that's been that's been zach hurts for for the eagles so i think yeah you could be kind of frustrated a little bit um, if you own if you own Jeffrey, but I mean at, at the same time he's still a high upside receiver. I think he is you know healthier after that that shoulder issue kind of hampered him last year. But and Aguilar still kind of mixing in here seventy percent snap rate. So I don't think you have to be totally scared off Aguilar either. I think you know he he's still going to be out there. Obviously his target share dips too, but um, you know that's that's another kind of thing that that hurts Jeffrey is that you know Aguilar is another guy that he can be a high volume guy in a certain role. Um, as well and um, you know we haven't seen that but sometimes you, they, they keep Aguilar in the slot and they you know they move Tate around so it's it all kind of comes back and then you have Sproles coming back too so I mean yeah it's, it, it could get it could get kind of ugly in this in this target chair in Philadelphia I think the one guy you really can uh, you, you trust is Zach Ertz but um, it's, uh, it's going to be kind of a crapshoot here with, with these other guys. That's a good point about Sproles potentially taking away some of that underneath stuff from uh, Tate and Aguilar. I, I just feel like this Eagles offense all year, people have been, you know, why is Carson Wentz not the same? Why are they not the same? They don't have that field stretcher. I mean, it's yeah. not like it's not like it was the biggest part of their offense, but at least last season, there was always Torrey Smith or Mac Hollins. They always at least had a guy that had burners that you at least had to worry about. And it's now that they're almost going like the 2015 to through 2017 Cowboys route where Alshon Jeffrey, you know, might be your de facto Des Bryant-esque number one receiver, but 
I mean, those aren't easy throws for your quarterback. They're kind of contested catches. And I don't think defenses are as worried about shifting coverage to a guy like that versus, you know, a pure field stretcher like a Mike Wallace who they had that maybe isn't as good of a receiver, but they at least demand the, atten- the attention. Am I crazy? Oh, no, you're exactly right. Because, you know, again, like it's kind of just like the a similar situation to the to the quarterbacks, the mobile quarterback versus the the more stationary quarterback. It's like Alshon Jeffrey, you know, big receiver. Those receivers were really in vogue, I think, you know, maybe five, ten years ago. Now it's kind of more like you, you want to have a Tyreek Hill. You know, you don't want to have like a, a like a, a old school Des Bryant. You want to have like a Tyree Kill, a guy that we just like, saw Brandon Cooks get paid. Right? Yeah, it's like you want those kind of guys because you want that stretching, that field stretching ability, and you get that by separation. And those, those the, the guys that are a little bit smaller can obviously, you know, they tend to be able to separate better. You know, Jeffries, he's not going to beat anybody in a foot race at this point in his career. So yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, it that field stretching element isn't there. I mean, even you know, even Torrey Smith gave him a little bit of that too. I mean, I know he wasn't a high volume guy for them, and it's definitely not as fast as he was in his heyday, but. Um, you know, he still was managed to, I believe, play all, all the games last year and uh, and, and kind of keep defenses honest as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm surprised that um, that they didn't make a play for maybe somebody a little more uh, of a field stretcher or maybe even, you know, go out and get Amari Cooper, who ended up, I think, the Dallas ended up paying, you know, like a first rounder for him. So Yeah, even, even like Josh Gordon, it just seemed weird yeah. that they were bringing in Although, Tate when Aguilar was already that guy. Uh, to be, I mean, Josh Gordon has struggled uh, to separate. I think you pointed For sure, out, for sure. Yeah, like he struggled to separate. So, I mean, I think that's more to do with, you know, not playing football for so long than, you know, missing a lot of camp, you know, coming getting the hamstring injury right when you come back. It's going to be, I mean, what, we might actually see him get, get more explosive as the, as the season progresses, I, I don't think that would be crazy to think. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm surprised that the Eagles didn't um, didn't get a more downfield threat. I mean, it should still be working, though. Like, Carson Lentz has no excuse for uh, – what did he do? Like, 156 yards against the uh, the Saints the other week? I mean, there's no excuse oh, yeah. for, for, for some of these these last few games. And Wentz had been putting up big numbers um, before that. So, I don't – you know, it, it's kind of tough. I mean, maybe this whole Tate acquisition did kind of throw a wrench in things. But uh, still, I mean, there – he still has guys that can get open on all areas of the field. I mean, even, you know, you still have a lot of options. You're talking about Tate, Ertz, you know, Jeffrey, uh, Aguilar, you know, not as like the number one. Like you still have enough enough guys that that often should be functional at, at a pretty high level. So they have to um, step it back up because that it's, it's kind of inexcusable. Yeah, it seemed like Wentz was really starting to hit his stride before their bye week. And then we've just seen the Eagles really in general fall off a cliff, you know, ever since they kind of lost that tough one at home to Dallas and obviously that Saints massacre you just mentioned. So we'll see if they can kind of right that ship tomorrow night against the Redskins. All right, now we're going to look ahead to Thursday night football in week 14. We got not a great game. Jaguars at the Titans. Uh, The line has already moved from Titans minus four and a half to Titans minus four. Perhaps people were impressed by the Jaguars' uh, aforementioned 6-0 victory today. Over-under has stayed firm at 38 points. Big news in this one is the Jaguars will be welcoming back Leonard Fournette, who was obviously suspended this last week. Uh, this will be his first game with Cody Kessler. We've seen, you know, with Fournette, without Fournette, with Bortles, you know, it's almost like two different Jaguars offenses. It would make sense to me that you know, they just continue to feed Fournette basically all the touches he can handle. They've been doing it all season. You know, he's kind of only been playing 50, 55% snap shares and winding up with 20 plus uh, touches anyway. So, any reason to believe that Fournette won't be the focal point of this offense next Thursday? Oh, no, not at all. I think, you know, one, one of the reasons I, I like the Colts in this game, I thought they'd be able to at least score you know, 13, 16 points to, to, to cover against this, this Jags team because I didn't think they would score a lot was because Fournette in in the three games prior had scored five touchdowns all in the red zone um, for rushing one receiving and that accounted for over a quarter of their offensive touchdowns output this year you know he's a guy that when they get in the red zone he's going to be the guy because they don't really have um, you know outside of Moncrief maybe uh, another guy that is even really a red zone threat at all you know the Westbrook's a smaller type Cole is another one who's, you know, and he hasn't been playing as much. DJ Chark's more of like a deep threat. Uh, tight ends, you know, ASJ is long gone. So you're not really, you don't really feel confident about any of the tight ends. So, I mean, there, there's not really another guy that you're feeding in that, in that goal line situation or in that red zone situation period, except for net. So yeah, I expect him to come back and, uh, and have a big game. Yeah. Just tough to find some other weapons. I was on Keelan Cole a little bit today because uh, DJ Chark was out and Cole was about 1500 less than, 
Westbrook and Moncrief with a similar role. When it was all said and done, TJ Yeldon had a team high eight targets. Just I think going to continue to be a uh, pretty volatile situation with who's getting the targets week per week in this offense. Even if Kessler kind of figures it out, which, you know, I'm not super high on him to begin with. Do you see any value in this uh, Jaguars passing game moving forward? I mean, so, so in this game, D.D. Westbrook actually got 59% of the air yards. I mean, there weren't a ton of air yards to go around, you know, barely over 100. But uh, D.D. Westbrook did get a large portion, large portion of them. Um, he's a guy who uh, I, I think is highly talented. And I think, you know, with maybe a, a new quarterback and a more confident one, I think th- that that air yard share is kind of a good sign. I mean, it's all we can really go off of. So I'd say um, he's a guy that, that you want to continue to watch for. If, you, if he's on your waiver wire, I, I'd pick him up for this game. I think uh, – I think he he might be able to do some things inside. You know, Logan Ryan is kind of a bigger bigger guy inside, so Westbrook might have an advantage there. Moncrief had been the guy prior to that with Bortles getting getting the air yards and the red zone targets and whatnot. So I think another guy that you know could could kind of pop back up here and there if they if they ever need to score um, more points. But the problem is that this team is still a pretty good team on defense, and when you have that defense and you have Leonard Fournette. If, if all goes according to plan, you usually end up with these low-scoring games, and I think that's exactly how they want it. So that's really the issue with these pass catches that if you're in, like, a standard league, you, you know, you, it's hard to count on them for much of anything because the Jags are – they're not scoring many touchdowns, and when they do, it's, it's Leonard Fournette. So I think PPR, yeah, I think, I think uh, Westbrook especially could have some, some value. Yeah, I'm with you. I've always thought – I mean, even if the targets don't always uh, show it, Westbrook is definitely the most talented receiver in Jacksonville. All right, flipping over to the other side of the ball, we've seen a new look Marcus Mariota uh, ever since the Titans week eight bye. I was actually pretty in on, felt like in the preseason, Matt Nagy and the Bears were the popular pick to take that Rams-esque jump with a young quarterback, new coach. I thought the Titans could maybe do that. Weeks one through seven showed no signs of that. Uh, Mariota was only averaging 6.9 yards per attempt through just three touchdowns, five interceptions, but Weeks 9 through 13, we've seen Mariota average 9.2 yards per attempt. He's already got eight touchdowns, only two picks. You know, Mariota's always had the rushing floor. I mean, I feel like we've kind of seen him get hot and cold throughout his career. Are you buying this latest hot stretch as maybe, you know, him being a consistently above-average fantasy quarterback moving forward? Uh, probably not. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, no, I, I think, um, you know, is he, is he going to do this against Jacksonville? I, I don't think so. Um, you know, the week after that against the Giants and the week after that against Washington, probably, you know, maybe, maybe yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, from a forward looking, just like season long perspective, he's a guy that you could, you could rely on for those last two weeks. I wouldn't trust him in this game. I think, you know, he's kind of, like you said, he's been that, like, you know, you, you come into the season, you're looking for big things from him and he kind of disappoints, he's inconsistent and he has like stretches where he's extremely consistent and extremely, you know, high upside. So I think the one thing that he, he has going for him is that rushing floor. But um, it's hard to – they're another team that when everything's going right for them, they're kind of a team that, like, you know, they play decent defense and uh, they're in these low-scoring games – involved in these low-scoring games as well. So um, I think that, you know, in this game against Jacksonville, like, he's more of a, a contrarian. He's a pretty contrarian player. He's like a, in, in DFS. Corey Davis, I'm sure he'll have uh, Jalen Ramsey's attention in this game. And uh, it, it'll probably I – I don't know what the – what's the over-under in this game right now? It is only at 38. Yeah, like that that tells you all you need to know about the uh the outlook of the passing game, the passing games in this in this one, but if Jacksonville's playing this kind of defense now, I mean, where do the Titans go for offense? I don't know if we're getting the same Jacksonville every week. I mean, I, I think if anything this year we've seen just how inconsistent they can be from week to week, so to expect to get that same defense back 4 days later, uh man, I'm just not buying it. But I I, I will say I mean, I think Jalen Ramsey is you know, he, I mean, he had some struggles earlier on in the year, wasn't grading out like the elite cornerback that we kind of think he is. I think he has always been that guy. I mean, it's just tough to win one-on-one versus Antonio Brown and Odell Beckham Jr. And he's pretty much won every other battle. I think the big question for Thursday night is, you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and just assume Ramsey wins that battle against Davis. Maybe I'm wrong. But uh, after that, we got Tajay Sharp, Taiwan Taylor as number two and number three. They had six and five targets today, respectively. Is Taiwan the guy here to kind of target for the showdown slates? I say yes because he's a, he's more explosive, right? Agreed. So you know, Tajay Sharp has like every year you'll have like I think t- he had like one big game this year, and I'm maybe another game with a touchdown. Um, and the rest of it's kind of been inconsistent. And Taiwan's really been the same way, but 
Taiwan has a little more speed. I think, you know, I don't really feel good about the, uh, the, the Titans offense, passing offense at all against this, this, this Jags D. Uh, but yeah, I think Taiwan is probably the guy you're looking at. I think maybe you see John o. Smith pop up. You know, Ferkser too, the tight end. He's kind of, I think he ended up in the last winning lineup for the uh, showdown slate that contained the Titans. But um, he's a guy that he's kind of used a lot as a pass catcher. He was used a lot at the end of that Houston game uh, against the prevent defense. So if this is one of those games where the Jaguars end up playing well on defense and are able to take out Corey Davis, I think you also want to look at the tight ends uh, because it could be those guys that end up with, uh, you know, getting the, uh, the the kind of garbage time dump downs or whatnot. And, and of course, you know, Deion Lewis, Derrick Henry, both getting involved. Derrick Henry getting a couple passes thrown his way here and there too. So I think it's, you know, you want to look at the running backs and those, those kind of tight ends for value. But it's going to – I think this is a game where, I mean, if you, there, there could be a lot of salary left on the table. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just play for net. Let's talk about like, Anthony Ferkser right now. We haven't even yeah. gotten into Cameron Batson yet. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Like, it's, uh, you know, Ferkser. I think Ferkser is kind of that guy that, that you maybe, you know, the, the contrarian play that might end up paying off because he's he's got he's flashed a couple of times but yeah it's play the jags d maybe play the i mean you can't in, in Fanduel you can't even play defense but on DraftKings yeah like jags d i think you know maybe titans d you know kickers and Fournette. <laughs> <laughs> oh man this is what titans jaguars <sighs> gives us man all right well i do like the Ferkser call i mean he had three targets today same amount as jonu smith and you know i'd imagine uh with the less name brand he'll have the lower ownership so we got we more week to debate who's gonna rise up the ranks of the jaguars and titans passing games exciting <laughs> stuff oh yeah all right now we're gonna finish up with our weekly bet oh man i, I don't have much uh better news for you guys chris is still dominating this head-to-head matchup this season he's up 10 wins three losses three pushes total it's been a beat down for most of the year i don't have any excuses i'm taking taking the l's on the chest and uh i'm just hoping to get a win this week so chris last week i took titans plus four against the spread l took Deion lewis you had deandre hopkins you took that w and you got the under well done What's your guess spread pick? Yeah, and let's... by the way, the pick choices are yeah. uh, <laughs> we got the Eagles minus six and uh, the over unders at 45. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I am going with the, uh, the Redskins here. Uh, you know, I think the line is just a little bit, I, I just think it should be at, at five. That's what I have it at. And so, you know, I think that like there's a little bit of overcompensation going on for Colt McCoy's. You know, Colt McCoy coming in for, for Alex Smith. Colt McCoy career, 5.6 net yards per attempt. Alex Smith, um, you know, the team, you know, this year with, with Alex Smith at the helm, they, they weren't, they were at like 5.8, 5.9. So it's uh, not, not a huge drop off, really. And with Thompson back, I, I just think that uh, it should be, given how the Eagles have played, um, I, I think it should be a little closer. So I'm, I'm going to go with Washington here. I'm going to take under 45 points. Already moved up one and a half since opening at 43 and a half. Uh, I have my doubts with this banged up Redskins offensive line being able to kind of keep this still pretty good Eagles pass rush off of McCoy. R- really, I mean, I'm just not sold on McCoy much in general. And we talked <laughs> about uh, talked about reasons why. I mean, I'm not sure that the Eagles offense is necessarily going to randomly take a step forward. So I'll take a low scoring game and under 45 points. Okay, my highest scoring player pick. I think I'm going to Carson Wentz. Without a hesitation there. Without a hesitation. Oh man, I couldn't pick between him. I couldn't pick between him or Ertz, but we see we see once running around at least a little bit. So I'm gonna take once. Hopefully, uh, he gets more points than I was uh, predicting he would in my under bet. Yeah, you know what I'm gonna do then. I'm gonna, I'm taking Ertz. Like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm hoping for like because I got Washington too. So I'm hoping you know Carson Wentz has to throw more than than we expect, and you know get Ertz with those 14 catches and. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, that, that's enough. And DraftKings, it's a little bit easier for kind of receivers to outscore their quarterback. You know, that's kind of come to light a lot when playing these showdown slates. It's like on FanDuel, you know, when you look at our, our, our models and our projections, a lot of times you see the quarterback will, will have the, the, the highest score. And then on DraftKings, a lot of times it's like if you have that number one receiver, a lot of times he'll have the highest score because it's like that full point per reception and the three point bonus sometimes. So, you know, that, that's something to keep in mind if you're playing these showdown slates. But yeah, I think Wentz, in theory, should 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 have a big game. I mean, like I said, this he's got he's got weapons. I mean, deep threat or not, like there's enough there's enough guys for him to put up big numbers. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, especially in this game, like your season's on the line now, Carson. It's it's now or never at this point. I mean, we're hearing all the talk about oh, was the, was the Eagles' success because of Frank Wright? You know, now he's now he's only the magician for Andrew Luck. Carson Wentz, time is now. I mean, the one thing to say though is like it's it, I guess it's how you look at it, right? Because he did lead a crazy fourth quarter comeback against Carolina. I think they were shut out for three quarters and they, they won that game. Then he leads another crazy comeback against the Giants. So, I mean. I mean, he's still kind of, you know, he's doing hold on, his hold on. I'm sorry, man. I got to fix you on that Carolina what? one. That was Cam Newton with the comeback. Oh, yeah. You're, oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. So what am I? Oh, yeah, he lost that game. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that was the beginning of the end. Yeah. No wonder. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I had that completely backwards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. They had the comeback against the Giants. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cam Newton had the comeback um, in that game. And then, yeah. And then today, they, he didn't have a. <laughs> such a good day either but yeah no um yeah Carson Wentz has to step it up um I, I thought the Eagles were gonna be a lot better than they are but um yeah we'll see what happens all right everyone thank you for listening to our breakdown we hope you all had a great Sunday hope you have an even better time betting these Monday night football and Thursday night football games are coming up Chris any last words let's get this money <laughs>